You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everyone. It's America. I'm back for another session of In the Open. Teresa isn't here with me today, but I have two wonderful guests with me. One is Louise, and I'm going to ask them to introduce themselves. And the other is M, who's been with us before. She is an MHA employee. So Louise, say hello and tell everyone about yourself. Hi, everyone. So excited to be here. My name is Luis Cornejo, and I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist in the state of California. And I'm the co-owner of Psychosocial Therapy, a fully virtual group practice where I specialize in working with the queer and BIPOC communities. Other things that I do, I'm also a model. I support a nonprofit that provides scholarships for the Latino community to access therapy. And I'm a huge advocate for mental health. So I'm really excited to be here to chat today. Thank you, Luis. We're so happy to have you here. After so long, you're able to join us. Em, what about you? Say hi to everyone. Hey, everyone. I'm Em. My pronouns are she, they. I'm the Director of Public Awareness and Education at MHA. Um, Like America said, I've joined a few times before, um, but really focused on our Pride campaign right now. So I wanted to join Sydney's podcast as well. Thank you both for joining me. We are going to be continuing on this series that we're having around the conversation about what it is about gender identity and everything that has to do with that. But today's session, we're going to be talking about gender identity and culture. And I identify as a Latina. I am cisgender. And, you know, the conversation is really important within our communities that may be a little different than the white Caucasian community and how gender identity shows up, how culture influences that. And ultimately, I'm wondering from you, Luis, and all the work that you do, How did you kind of get to this place where you identify yourself as queer? And I've also known, given I know your work, you identify as indigiqueer. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So um, thank you so much for uh, bringing that up. I I didn't get to mention, yes, my pronouns are he, him, and they. Uh, I do identify as queer, and I am of indigenous roots. Uh, My mom is originally from Guatemala, and my dad is from Mexico. That has been a constantly evolving identity for me. When I first came out, I I identified as a gay man, which I still do. I, I sexual orientation, I do identify as gay. However, over the years, I've really had an opportunity to explore myself, my identity, my gender presentation, a lot of other aspects of myself that I didn't really get an opportunity to do when I was growing up or in my younger years. And uh, queer to me is a very special term because it's really this idea of possibilities, right? Outside binary systems, whether we're talking about male, female, but really understanding humans in more complex ways. And queerness to me is really this uh, very special uh, perspective, right? Where we are actually able to question and explore and engage with ourselves around what identity means to us and how we show up in the world. And so that is part of the reason why I do identify now primarily as queer, because it is something that I not only explore, but continue to explore even now. And uh, it's something that comes up a lot in my work as well. So I do specialize in working with the queer community. So my private practice is 100% queer uh, and or BIPOC uh, folks that I work with. And that was really the intention behind me going into private practice and doing this work that I wanted to create a space 
for folks who identified as queer to come in and be able to do these kinds of things that I was given the opportunity to do through my own work in therapy, uh, you know, explore their gender, explore the self-expression, identity, uh, and even how cultura, right, culture comes into play with that, especially for the Latinx community where there's still a lot, a lot, a lot of stigma and shame when it comes to discussing things like gender, sexuality, gender presentation, you know, and all of these other beautiful identities that people have um, really aligned with over the years. I love what you said about the fact that this is an exploration. I think oftentimes we get stuck at the beginning of saying, okay, well, my identity is X and um, that's it. But then we start talking to people and learning about others. And I would say in in my experience and just having friends and family who identify outside of the binary system, it's like I had never really thought about the possibilities of that. And does that resonate with you at all? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say, Luis, a lot of what you were saying reminds me of this quote that I love from Ocean Vuong, who's an author, poet, incredible person that talks about queerness and how when they recognize their queerness, it just opened up an entire new world of possibilities for them and seeing other things that didn't suit who they actually were. And that just, that resonates with me so much. That was so my experience. It was the spring of 2020 when I realized I was queer, Um, originally came out as bisexual, still somewhat identify as bisexual, identify a lot more with the term queer, Um, for similar reasons, the fluidity of that, the expansion of that. Um, And yeah, I think that was very much once I thought about that and my sexuality and like, oh my gosh, okay, I don't have to, you know, marry a man and have children and do the, the life that I thought I was going to live. What other things did I just think were, were me and were my future that actually weren't if I put some thought into it. And yeah, that changed so much in terms of now I use she, they pronouns and think about gender a lot more. And I know that I don't want kids and so many other realizations coming from that. I just want to say thank you for saying that, because I think it's so important to acknowledge when we're talking about gender, right? I know this is the conversation we're having right now, and especially when it comes to culture and how uh, it really sets these very unrealistic expectations, right, that are supposed to be one size fits all. And you perfectly described it, right, like having to get married, having to have kids, having to do things a certain way. Uh, and it really takes away from an opportunity that we don't we usually don't get right to explore, like I was mentioning earlier. Um, and it causes a lot of uh, stress for us, right? It also impacts our mental health, especially when we have these kinds of uh, uh, blueprints that are rooted and centered in heteronormativity, right, or binary. Uh, this is for men, this is for women. And most of us, that's kind of what we get when we're born, right? We get handed the sheet of like what's acceptable, what's not acceptable for our gender. Um, and this is even more uh, strongly visible in Latinx communities, right? And, and I know the Latinx community is very diverse. Uh, there's so many different aspects of it. And yet there's still a lot of centering and rooted uh, uh, systems, right, that are are very much based in these heteronormative uh, ideals, right? And so I think this is not only a conversation for queer people, this is a conversation for everyone, right? Because we're all impacted by these systems. uh, And we're all impacted by the expectations that are set on us by society, Uh, oftentimes not even things that we want, right? But things that we're told this is how you will be seen as successful, or your life will be worthy, or whatever it is, if you do these things, right, step by step. And queerness is very much the opposite, that there really isn't a blueprint or a pink print or any type of print, right? It's really an idea where people 
people are able to live their lives uh, as they are and exist and explore and um, you know be able to embrace the differences. And so very two different things that we're talking about. And uh, I actually received a, a quote from someone a while ago as well. And it was so interesting. And I, I wish I remembered the person that said it, but I know there's someone that has done a lot of research in queer theory. And um, they had said that queerness isn't here yet, right? We're still in binaries. Queerness is this idea. It's almost this dream that a lot of us have and that are, a lot of us are trying to really exists within because it, it, it's not here yet, right? We're still very much rooted in binary system and queerness is often othered and yet it's really not embraced yet by society. And so I think it's just really important to acknowledge that uh, queerness, it, it, you know, it, it exists outside of this binary system. And so I think many folks have a really hard time understanding that because it, it it's not as simple to explain as it's this or that, but it's really like, whoa, you know, a whole rainbow of possibilities and, and ways of, of being. Yeah, that's such a fantastic point. I think I once I started exploring gender and pronouns for myself, realizing how, so I'm white, American, generations back, and realizing, I remember saying to my dad like five or so years ago, that when I had kids, I was not going to, you know, paint the nursery pink or blue. I was going to paint it yellow or green. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. But like, I don't really understand why you have to do that. Like, why can't you just paint it pink or blue? And I was like, well, I, I don't want to. Um, but then through doing my own research and thinking about my own identity, coming across other cultures that don't function within the binary and realizing like, oh, there are people who are two-spirit and that is just an identity in indigenous cultures. And there are other cultures that, you know, see gender as incredibly fluid and cultures that don't see women as motherly. They see the men as motherly and the caretakers within their society. Um, and realizing how much of it really is a social construct and, it does impact everyone, even people who aren't queer. I feel so lucky that I am queer because discovering that let me discover so many other things. And people who don't jump into that discovery, you can totally discover like and explore your sexuality and realize you're straight, explore your gender and realize you're cisgender. That's okay. Um, but that kind of exploration and reflection can be for everyone. I think what sticks out the most from from what both of you have shared is this idea of the limitations that exist upon us and without asking they're displaced on us and so when we don't have an opportunity to explore then and for so many reasons right like the ideas that negate the existence of queerness and what it is to not be labeled as man woman straight you know all of that then I think in many ways creates fear in people because if you don't fit within any one of these boxes, then where do you fit? And that's like the natural human state of saying, oh my God, something's wrong. And within that conversation comes this kind of embeddedness of fear. And then you get into this whole negative side of othering that you mentioned, Louise, that ultimately sets people aside because they're like, you're not fitting in. And when you don't fit in, you can't be part of us, you know, the us quotes. And I think that's the most harmful piece of, of all of this. But Luis, I'd love if you could tell us a little bit about your kind of experience in exploring your queerness, 
especially because I know in terms of the Latinx community, which is primarily very full of machismo and the ideal that you have to hit these standards of what it is to be a man, which is so detrimental to our culture. But I wonder how you can, you know, how you've navigated that and how you have connected with your family around that. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, this was something that I used to get asked a few years back, and I had such a hard time talking about it because I was still working through so much of it. And recently, it's something that I talk about a lot, right? Because I, I really want folks to uh, know that these are things that many of us experience. And for me, transparency is is very, very important. And what I'll say about that is, uh, you know, something that I often share is that I was born and raised into a very religious and conservative home. My parents are still very much churchgoers. They're evangelists. They're very big believers. And so we were raised in the church and uh, it, it really pretty much uh, revolved around that community, whether it was weekends or, or during the week or even helping people. And there were a lot of things that I definitely took very powerful values from uh, when it comes to my parents' practice. You know, one of them was helping others and uh, being selfless uh, in terms of community, right? We, we would help people all the time. And so that was something that I, it really stayed with me and it's still here with me, you know, as a therapist and as someone that advocates for mental health. Uh, but there were also a lot of very harmful messages that I often received and, you know, other people in the community received, especially when it came to gender and sexuality. Uh, there was really no wiggle room. There was really no question about not being within the binary system, right? Anything else was abnormal, right? Was a insult to nature. You know, these are kind of the messages that I received. Uh, I remember being eight, nine, 10 years old and sitting in church and hearing the pastor talk about how gay people were going to hell, how people who, you know, were transgender were, were crazy or mentally ill. Uh, and these were things that I definitely internalized and uh, were uh, very much... Um, things that I carried with me for many, many years. And it was really challenging, one, because at that point, being a child, I, I really had no control or say around many things. And so oftentimes I had to just trust the adult, right, including my parents, including the people of the church, that they knew what was best. And so for me, knowing very, very early on, probably around like elementary school, middle school, that I was different, it was a very demoralizing oftentimes having to hear these messages constantly because it, it always reminded me that I wasn't safe to be able to say anything about who I was or even ask questions. Uh, you know, the, the biggest thing I remember was being in middle school when I finally realized and I was like, oh my gosh, I, I'm, why do I have these feelings for this boy in my class? And it was the weirdest thing. And I was, not only was I scared, but I was also very confused and I was getting bullied. And I remember thinking like, well, if I tell my parents, they're going to ask me questions and they're going to ask me why I'm getting bullied. And if I challenge these people, they're going to, you know, do something to me. And it, it was a very scary situation. And I remember uh, constantly having to really hold this experience to myself and not really getting a lot of support. And that was a, uh, one of the biggest and most impacting experiences for me. And even now, like, I, I definitely think that I'm still doing a lot of uh, work in that arena, uh, mostly because, you know, I still have a relationship with my parents. And so this is, it, it, being around them is going to be a reminder of some of these things. And so for me, I, I'm still learning, I think, every day how to navigate it. But I'm also coming to it from a very different approach. Uh, before it was really appeasing and trying to protect myself and survive, you know, and now that I've, I've been able to get to a place where it does feel safe for me, you know, I've been in a long-term relationship, 14 years this year uh, in November, 
with my partner. Uh, you know, I self, I'm self-sustainable. I, I built a career. I have my practice. I'm doing a lot of these things. And so I think it's very different for everyone. And, you know, I'm sharing this because this is my story. I want to make sure that I acknowledge the privileges that I also possess, right, that I have allowed me to now be in a space where I can tell my parents, you know, this is a relationship that goes both ways. But that took a really long time to get there uh, because of the power differential, because of culture and how we were, I was taught to obey and to not question and to uh, basically uh, respect my parents, right? Which meant that it didn't go both ways. It was usually me to them and not them to me. Uh, and so it was a challenge. I think over the years, I did many things where I, I, I felt were showcasing who I was as a person to them and in a way almost testing them. Like I remember coming out to them, you know, the first thing my mom said was, you know, I'm so scared you're going to go to hell because that's what she was taught. And, you know, it wasn't a warm, embracing coming out like a lot of the movies that we see. It was a very like scary, surreal experience. You know, I, I still think back and remember how detached I felt from my body, having to say that to these people that, you know, that I loved and this big fear of, am I going to lose them, right? And so, uh, and, and the crazy thing was that I had to say it in Spanish. So it wasn't like I said it in English where I felt so comfortable. It was almost like I didn't even know how to say gay in Spanish or, or homosexual sounded so like clinical and cold to me that I didn't even know how to say this to my parents. And so I had to almost like allude to it and like point to my partner and be like, we're not friends <laughs> in Spanish. So not only did I, you know, was it like different because of the culture and the background, but then also language and all of these other nuances and, uh, you know, knowing the religious part of it, it, it was it was a lot. And so I remember that moment uh, being the first moment, well, not the first moment where I challenged them, but the first big moment where I actually said it to them, you know, instead of just alluding to it or making comments or getting defensive about things, I actually said it to them. And so it wasn't the best response. And I remember leaving with my partner and going back to the Bay Area where we were living at at the time. And thinking, oh my gosh, like they're not going to talk to me. Like, you know, I've, I've shamed them. What are people going to say about them? And so it was coming from a lot of those internalized messages that I held about myself, right? That I was a bad son because I was not normal, even though I had tried so hard that I, I couldn't fit into what they wanted me to. And so that was the first real moment where I, you know, I showed myself to them and, and uh, didn't leave with the the best uh, morale, you know, around it. But it took time. They accepted my partner eventually. They started to really respect the things that I would say to them, uh, especially around our relationship. You know, they would usually say, "Your friend," or "Why? Why are you? Why does your friend have to be here?" And I'd say, "He's not my friend. He's my partner, and I do need you to respect that." And they did. Eventually, they would tell me like, oh, you know, how's your partner doing? How's so-and-so doing? You know, what are you two coming over? And so it did shift. And that was the first instant, right? And for my family, uh, being here for so long, but still very rooted in their culture, they were big on connecting, you know, so it was a lot of around food, around introducing the family, around being close. And um, that was, a, that was, to me, was the first sign where I thought, okay, you know, this is going to be okay, I'm going to have to figure out how to navigate this, but it's going to be fine. And, um, you know, over the years, it's definitely changed. Um, I think my parents are very fond of my partner now. They're definitely very caring. And uh, it's a totally different story. But yet a lot of things still come out right around like, oh, we shouldn't, you shouldn't post that or you shouldn't let people know this or, you know, I don't want people to judge you or say things about you, uh, you know, or things like that. And so I'm still learning to navigate many of these things. But I would say that our relationships have shifted. I joke a lot about my relationship with my mom in particular, because she was usually the the more 
direct and oftentimes the 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 one that the gatekeeper i would say of the family and so we've had a very interesting relationship we've always been very close we went through so many different moments you know where um i had to kind of explain to her because for her sex and gender are, are intermixed there's really no there was really no understanding for her of these concepts you know she she wasn't educated she didn't learn about this back home in her country she didn't learn about that here in the u.s and so it, it definitely has been a lot of unlearning for me and a lot of me educating them and also sometimes just not talking about it because it, it is too much you know in the in, in the context of our relationship and so it, it's been different ways of approaching it different ways of navigating but I will say that I think the cultural part had a very big role within this you know when we're talking about intersectionality right I don't just identify as as you know gay or queer I'm also Latino you know also came from a religious family we're also very poor growing up so there was a lot of things that mix in with this you know this experience so definitely still a work in progress <laughs> I think it'll be that, that way forever but uh, it's it's changed I have so many thoughts, Luis, like I have to stop my brain for a moment because you got to where I was going to ask you because there really is this need to also educate others and how you want to be treated. And I think at the beginning, when we start this conversation, oftentimes in how you were mentioning, right, you were saying even the words, I'm thinking about all the things that I would say in Spanish. And I'm like, what does that, how do you even say that? So I can understand that struggle and being able to then educate them and say, no, that's not, that's not what this is. This is more like this and taking that into account and the need to then allow for yourself to pause because it is, it is loaded with so much nuance and context and emotion. It can feel so heavy. I I've, I've been, you know, involved in different conversations where most recently, we were having this big kind of conversation with with folks, and they were like, "I think there's more gay people coming out." <laughs> and I was like, "Yeah," and and most of these are, are Spanish folks, you know. And I'm like, "Uh huh," and they're like, "I don't know why that is," you know. And I was like, "Well, because we're talking about it more, so people feel more comfortable in talking about it, you know." And and that education piece is critical because oftentimes we don't want to say anything because we think. We're going to say something wrong. It can be misinterpreted. But I, but I, I wonder, um, does, does anything of like what Luis shared kind of resonate with what you've experienced in, in the white culture? Yeah, definitely. I think so. I, when I was in high school, that felt like the peak of the phrase that's so gay to mean like, that's so dumb, that's stupid. And so I had, you know, the English language accessible to me. But even that at that time was so binary in terms of sexuality. So it was that was very straight or gay. And this is, I think, one of the funniest stories from my teenagehood is I remember in middle school, early high school, watching on YouTube, like lesbian YouTuber couples and being like, I love watching these channels, but like, I'm not gay. I'm just like weirdly interested in lesbian culture. And looking back, I'm like, there was something there. Um, I just did not have the language to understand what was going on. And when I was thinking about gender, starting to think about gender, I was like, well, I'm not a trans man, so I must be a cis woman. And then realizing like, oh, there's other language. And even if non-binary doesn't feel like it totally fits, 
there's other labels too. And there's, you know, you can find some sort of fluidity in feeling like you're just not entirely a woman. And yeah, I think language has been a, a huge part of that for me. Thank you for sharing that, Em, because in America, you know, something you brought up connected to that uh, is really uh, misconceptions that a lot of our communities have, right, especially within the Latinx umbrella, uh, this idea of queer people being turned or, or you know, now we see, you know, I, and I hear this from my parents all the time, like, oh, more people are being gay. And I'm like, you know, they're turning gay. And I, I sit there and I look at them. I'm like, you know, it's funny you say that because there, people don't turn Right, this way. This is this is this is something that is a variation, right? A diverse part of us being human, and so having to explain that to them is so interesting, especially in Spanish, where I'll try to tell them, uh, you know, queer people have existed forever, forever, and the only reason that we're seeing an increase is because more and more people are feeling safe, right? They're feeling welcomed, uh, or at least they're choosing to show themselves to the world as a form of rejecting this binary and this oppressive uh, culture, right, and being othered, and instead being part of the movement. Uh, and, uh, but so many folks, especially in the Latinx community, have, have these uh, beliefs, right, that were oftentimes taught to them oftentimes pushed on them by a lot of different systems, right? Whether it was religion or whether it was the government, right? In the 80s with HIV, I mean, so many different things, right? Uh, that they have observed and that they have uh, kind of taken upon themselves to try to explain uh, diversity and queerness. You know, my parents would often ask me, did someone do something to you when you were younger? Were you molested? Right. When did you get confused? Right. Or they would ask me things like, you know, is, is being gay, does that mean that you want to be a woman? Right. Is that what that means to you? And, and so, they, like I said, there were a lot of things that they did not understand and that they were kind of coming in with that someone else had already shared had been trickled down. And I mean, this is all historical. Right. I mean, this is way deeper than a conversation, you know, my parents had with someone who, you know, gave them misinformation. This is, uh, you know, going back to we can talk about colonization. We can talk about a lot of these oppressive systems that came into play, religion, right? And uh, I know that a, a big word that you used earlier, America, was was machismo, right? Machismo is a I mean, it, it's a set of behaviors, right, rooted in patriarchy, rooted in religion, around the concept and idea that men are supposed to be the leaders and superior and not show emotion and yada, yada, yada. And it just gets trickled down, practiced over and over and reinforced, not just by cis men, but by cis women as well. And, and, and even queer people, right? Because we all exist in this world. We are all impacted by it. And many of us who are queer, I think the difference is that we are consciously challenging it and pushing away from it. Whereas many other folks have internalized these things and they just act it out. And I say that, for example, you know, when we talk about in Latino culture, a lot of women, right? I, I need a, a man, they need to be a, a you know, they got to be like tough or, or they want emotions, but then a man cries and they turn away from it, right? Like, oh, that's not, you know, that's not normal. Or, uh, you know, I've heard many women often tell me, well, you know, I'm getting, especially Latina, <laughs> you know, I'm getting married, like I'm going to be, you know, this, this and this, like I have to be this way, right? And, and it's oftentimes like, you know, I think good nature is this idea of I'm getting married, I want to be there for my partner. But a lot of the ways that they say it oftentimes is very much rooted in this idea of servitude, right? And this idea of silence. And the man is like the center of, you know, we got so-and-so. Uh, and also um, in other ways, when I was growing up, my mom would always tell me, you don't serve yourself. Your cousin, you know, who's a girl, will serve you. You don't wash dishes. That's for women. You don't cook. That's for women. You don't wear that. That's only what women wear. 
right? Very like reinforcing this patriarchy, reinforcing this system. And then men, obviously, you know, between each other, you don't cry, you toughen up, uh, you know, grow a pair. I mean, so many things that that are used, right? And then queer folks, I mean, we can, I, I can speak for the gay community because that's been my personal experience. But a lot of gay men idealize and really cherish this heteronormative perspective of masculinity, right? Certain body types, you have, you know, are you straight passing? What kind of clothing are you wearing? And so it is something that is pretty much into in everyone, right? And all of us, because we are born and exist into the system. Uh, something that M said that I think is also very powerful is that there are a lot of indigenous and other communities around the world that don't root their beliefs or their uh, views and perspectives on this same system. And yet it's not the, the it's not the, uh, the dominant, right? This is, this is something that uh, I think is, is, is a little tricky because there's definitely other perspectives. And I think that many of us are going back to these because we're realizing, hey, you know, a lot of these cultures and people actually, actually make sense, right? This is, we are more complicated than this kind of like system that's been given to us. But at the moment, it's not. I mean, it's the same reason why we still see that uh, being gay or, or queer is punishable by death in some countries. Uh, it's the same reason why we're seeing all of these things going on in our country right now with laws and, and the government, you know, especially in Florida. I mean, these are not things that are attacking drag queens. These are things against the LGBTQ community, against queerness, against people who are different. Uh, because these systems, like I, I think you were saying this, America, earlier, are, a lot of, they're afraid. They're scared of the unknown. They're scared of things changing, and uh, they also don't. They also don't understand, right? And so, it, the the easiest thing is to reinforce a, a system that benefits them. And most of these are older white men, you know, in charge are pushing these things and these narratives, uh, and blaming queer people for things that you know we haven't even had the power to actually do. I mean, you know, it's been cis straight people, so <laughs> with privilege. So I think it's just so loaded, right? And this is such a a big conversation. I think there's so many different layers and aspects to it. I I think, you know, all, all the things that you talked about, it, it's funny when you when you kind of phrase it the way you have and, and what happens in my mind, it there's like moments where I can, I completely identify with them, right? Where in my family, which is fairly open, you know, there are still these markers of masculinity that are like oh my dad he's sitting my mom's gonna serve him and it's like and when in my relationship my current relationship right there'll be moments when i'm like you have legs you could go get food you know and and that in itself is like for him for my fiance he's gotten used to it right he's like oh okay got it i i got it i see that face you're making you know i'm gonna do what i have to do but within that spectrum, right, there is a lot of this struggle that exists internally when, one, you kind of talked about this idea of safety, right, and you being able to not only have this conversation with your family, but in your current work and what you're doing is being very out and outspoken about who you are. And the power that exists in that, I think, is very critical so that others who are struggling with this question, like, what is my gender identity? How do I deal with that within the context of X culture, whatever culture that is, because we are all living within these systems. What would you say to someone who's kind of struggling within this space? Like, what can you help them? Yeah. Kind of give them a guiding light. 
No, absolutely. You know, I did an episode on my podcast, a uh, queer magic podcast and on uh, late bloomer queers. And the episode was really dedicated to sharing with folks that we don't all get an opportunity to explore because of safety, right? It's not always safe. Even now, I mean, 2023, we're seeing a lot more representation. We're seeing a lot more visibility and yet it's still not safe a hundred percent. And so people have to make that conscious choice of when they're ready to do this. And so for me, even in my practice and something I often talk to therapists about uh, who are supporting and working with queer folks that don't identify within the community is that there's that coming out is not the the magical ideal perspective of, of you know, everything's going to be okay because you came out. No, there, there are actual real implications for many of us uh, coming out, you know, the possibility of losing our home, the possibility of being discriminated against, the possibility of safety, physical, right? I mean, we know that in this country right now, the highest mortality uh, or at least deaths are for trans women of color, right? Uh, and, and so, I mean, these are things that are very real. And so for me, when I talk to folks uh, who are working with me, uh, I often notice that many of them are coming out and exploring later in life, right? They're older, they're mid 30s, 40s, you know, or late 20s sometimes, and they finally were able to find a space where uh, it felt safe for them, or they're in relationships, or they're really almost like going back right, to do this work. And so I, I kind of really consider this more of like a um, second adolescence per se, right, where people are almost like actually going through their adolescence in a safe space where they're like, okay, well, now I don't have to do this. I can be myself. Who who am I? You know, and that's one of the, the I think the most bittersweet questions I often get from some of my clients is like, I don't know who I am. Who am I? You know, because I'm still trying to figure this out. And it feels so late. And many of them carry shame and this internalized guilt because they feel like they have not had a chance to be who they are or they weren't brave enough. And I always remind them, look, the reality is that we don't always have that luxury. And so we each have to make that decision and make that choice of when it's safe for us and to whom, you know? And so that is a very important part, I think, of exploration is that many of us, uh, we wait until we're in a place where it feels like we can show up and be ourselves. Um, and, and to me, you know, I, as I reflect on it in, in my own story, uh, it's very similar. I, identify, I came out as gay when I was about 21, but didn't really explore myself until three years ago. You know, I remember uh, when you and I met America, I was very different. You know, there was a, a very different uh, version of me, but that was because I felt this fear of if I show myself Am I professional enough? Are people going to reject me? I still held on to so many of these things. And in the last two years, especially since the pandemic, we all had time to think. We all had to sit there and really reflect and be like, oh my gosh, like, is this the end? You know? And so for me, a lot of it was like, I am tired. I am exhausted. I don't want to keep showing up this way. This is not who I am. I still feel these restraints from these gender norms, from my parents, from religion, from my own internalized homophobia. And I remember just really working so hard to question and challenge these things. And, uh, you know, in the last two years, I would say I have grown and it felt like being a teenager again. I remember going to the Mac store to get makeup for the first time and buying every lipstick color because I'm like, oh my gosh, like there's so many colors, like this is so cool. And, you know, for me, that was part of, of what I wanted to explore, that I remember being a kid and looking at magazines and loving fashion and loving makeup and being shut down each time because I wasn't supposed to do that. I wasn't supposed to be looking at that. And so I... Th- 
I put that on the side. You know, I was like, I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to wear a suit and blah, 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 because that'll make my parents happy. And then when all of that shit started to fall apart, I realized like, oh, my gosh, that was never me. That was who they wanted me to be because it was respectful, because it was valued. And now I'm, you know, it, it wasn't never going to make me happy. And so now I have this opportunity to really be myself. And that's why I went into private practice, because I also felt that providing mental health services in a lot of the systems that we work in, while they're mental health oriented, are not always, uh, you know, very inclusive or even welcoming or, uh, you know, they're still very much rooted in these systems as well. And so for me, it was like, I need to go solo. I need to do this for myself. And the first thought that came to me was, I'm going to queer it up. You know, I'm going to add myself. I'm going to bring my own magic to this. And that is what I did. You know, I created something from the heart, something that I needed growing up that I never got. And I started to show up for myself. And, you know, for me, it, it has changed. If you see me two years ago, it's constantly changing. And I tell my partner, you know what? I am learning to adapt to knowing that I will constantly be changing and growing and finding new things out about myself. And that's exciting to me. And I'm at this place in my life where, in a way, I, I'm, I, I get sad because I think I wish I would have had that teenage kind of thing where I, I was dating, you know, who I wanted and open and my parents could have been supportive. And there's definitely grief there. But also now I'm like, well, now I have a job. I have money. I have my own place. I could do what I want. You know, and so it's it's different. And, it, and like I said, everyone's going to have a different story and a different path. But I, I think it's important for folks to remember that it is not too late. Right. I still get older folks who come up to me uh, back from like the 70s and 80s and they'll see me and they'll come up to me and be like, oh, my gosh, I always wanted to dress like you or, or you know, wear makeup like you. But back then, like we would, you know, we would have gotten beat up. We would have been in danger. And I, they would I, I remember one person having tears in their eyes and saying, but it makes me so happy to see you to see you be you. And to me, that meant so much. And I always carry that conversation with me because it reminds me that, yes, things are still very difficult. I definitely still get stares. I definitely still go through days where I just want to like lay in bed. And at the same time, I remind myself, you know what, Luis, like, this is just part of that. You know, this is still the part of the work that's happening. So many wonderful, amazing people throughout our history, some that we can't even name who have uh, been part of this movement to help people be free, to help people be themselves, to help people live the life that they want. And this is, you're a part of that as well. You are also resisting. You are also existing. And that to me is very special because it, it, it not only gives me permission on those sad days to be sad and to acknowledge and to embrace that this is also part of that journey because it does make me sad, um, you know, that people still treat queer folks a certain way. It does make me sad that my parents still hold on to a lot of these ideas and, you know, perspectives. It still makes me sad that we're still sharing and passing so much, uh, you know, BS in 2023 that really, that we're seeing really implicates people in their lives. Um, and at the same time, <laughs> it's, I'm not going to stop because this is is my life, right? And I, I have a choice. And I think for me, that that's what inspires me every day, right? It's that idea that, you know, we don't live once, we live every day, and I'm going to get up and I'm going to live. And until that stops, uh, I, I want to make sure that I'm being seen, and that people will see the real me, and, you know, they can take it or leave it. And so I think that's been my philosophy now. So I definitely have my, my days, but um, yeah, a lot of good days, too. I know, I know a little bit about M's, M's journey. So M, I know, like, I see you like nodding your head and you're like, yes, I know that. I, I just want to give you also an opportunity to kind of share when you started exploring, 
I think now it's similar to what Luisa said. Two years ago, you're, you're not the same person you were two years ago. And the liberty you have and the privilege you have to kind of explore that, I think, is really important. But what would you say to folks that are kind of navigating this space and trying to figure out, like, who am I? And I think that piece of the conversation of the who am I, it occurs across every single spectrum of identity, right? That's where we struggle the most. But um, what, do you, what do you think? Yeah, I absolutely. The who am I, who am I question is something that everyone deals with. And I think it's, yeah, it's scary to think about that as an adult. And when you think you've already figured that out and then be like, oh God, I was wrong about this one thing for so long. Um, like being, so I was 24 years old and thinking like, oh, I fully thought I was going to marry a man and have kids with him. Like what else am I wrong about, about myself? And yeah, wanting, wanting people to see that and the freedom that came with just that internal recognition, even if you can't publicly come out affirming your own identity for yourself um, is really powerful. And we touched on this earlier, but a lot of what we've talked about has been the concept of gender within cultures. And I think thinking about the queer community, the queer community has its own culture as its own community. And queerness is so much more than who you're dating, who you're sleeping with. It is how you show up in the world. It is who you connect with on a platonic level. It is plays into spirituality and religion and your clothing and makeup choices and everything. And so I think leaning into that, leaning into that piece of your identity, that piece of who you are has been really powerful for me, not only in terms of not feeling as othered, but finding those deeper connections because who am I? I'm queer. And people who aren't queer or haven't explored their queerness cannot relate to that piece of my identity. And it's a really important piece of people relating to me in that way in my deeper relationships. Um, I think the conversation today could, could go on for hours because so many things um, do pop into mind. But mm-hmm. I, what I want to think about and what I want to end with is this idea that exploration, I think, is important to what this looks like and how this shows up in your life, how you identify. Nobody's asking you to do anything other than think about where you feel the safest and how you show up, right? Taking all the things into account because emotional safety and physical safety are very important to the conversation. But I think the most detrimental part of it is the the negative mental health impacts of the struggle that exists within ourselves when we start saying, um, yeah, I don't fit into this box. I, I don't exactly fit over there. And what does that mean for me? And how do I show up in the world? So Luisa, if folks have questions about where they can learn a little bit about your work or maybe reach out to you, how can they find you? Yeah, yeah. So there's quite a few ways. Uh, one is uh, the mental health platform that I run called Psychosocial. And that one is uh, the website is www.psychosocial.media. Uh, my personal website where I do a lot of my modeling and advocacy and, and uh, really showing up uh, is uh, www.luis-cornejo.com. I'm also on Instagram where I, I do a lot of reels on education, but also self-empowerment and helping folks really show up. And uh, that one is at Luis underscore the T-H-E-E and then underscore L-M-F-T. Awesome. Thanks so much. This is the last in our series for Pride Month, but we wanted to make sure that we continue the conversation for the rest of the year. So hopefully we can bring Luis and I'm back. Thanks so much, y'all.
keep fighting in the open. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.